0: Feeding hungry people is good work, but that's not missions. Giving medicine to sick bodies is good work, but it's not missions. Missions is what the Bible defines it as. And missions is taking the gospel to people who have never heard. People who need to know that their sins can be forgiven them. I guess you've all heard of the dog whisperer. Hmm? Today I'm the Bible whisperer. So um, if you don't mind uh, listening to my scratchy voice, um, I got something to share with you. We have a lot of professionals in our church. And Professionals usually have skills that are far above the rest of us ordinary people. Um, Have you ever watched a professional do his or her job, be it a a restaurant chef, or maybe an automotive mechanic, or perhaps a, a carpenter, someone who's trained, someone who's been doing it for years, and you look at them, and sometimes you wonder how did you do that and so they you might ask them how did you do that and once in a while they might say oh it's a trade secret oh it's a professional secret well i'm i'm sure that every professional has his or her tricks of the trade that allows them to get their job done promptly and professionally and you know that's even true for the ministry of pastoring a church that's true Over the years, you learn certain secrets, certain tricks of the trade that help you to do the job better, faster, more professionally. So I think it's like that in every profession. Now, pardon me if I cough once in a while. Um, Right now, our church is about to undergo, go into, enter into our missions conference. It's once a year. And the mission conference will bless you in ways that you cannot be blessed. The greatest work of God that any church or individual can be involved with is the work of worldwide missions. And yet, it's also probably the most impossible job to do. However, I want you to know something, folks. There's a secret God asks us to do an impossible job, but it's not without a secret. And I'm going to share that secret with you today because it's the secret power that we use to be able to support worldwide missions. And I want you to listen very carefully this morning. In about two weeks, as I say, is our annual Faith Promise Missions Conference. And this conference will bless you. It'll become a highlight of your life. God will use it to open His windows and pour His blessings into your life. If you will educate yourself, if you'll get on board with this, I want to show you in just a couple minutes why it's the greatest work that we need to be involved with. But we need to start today. We need to educate our hearts and our minds and get ready for the missions conference. And you'll be hearing more about that in days to come. We want to let God accomplish His perfect will through our lives. And so today I'm going to share with you one of the Christian secrets, the secret power that we use to be able to support worldwide missions. Now let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help us as we approach this subject today. It's a subject that's bigger than any of us here. It's bigger than our church. It's bigger than all of the churches all over the world. It is an impossible task, and yet you've asked us to do it. How can we do it? Father, we're so thankful that not only do you provide the, the the knowledge of your will, but you also provide the power. So help us learn about that power today. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have your Bible open at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin by looking at the context of our scripture passage. If you look, please, at chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Uh, For truly, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so here the Lord Jesus is simply telling the disciples about the coming Holy Spirit. And in verse 6 and 7, instead of following this up with a question about the Holy Spirit, the disciples ask the Lord Jesus about Israel's future. Sort of a a different topic here. Verses 6 and 7, will you restore again the kingdom uh, to Israel? And so the Lord tells the disciples in verse 7, don't worry about that. It's not for you to know the times and seasons. Verse 8, but here's what they were to concern themselves with. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then here we go. This is the job, the great commission. Taking the gospel into all the world. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That includes Surrey, British Columbia, too, by the way. And so they were to concern themselves with taking the gospel into the world. Now, folks, I'd like to start out with asking a couple of questions. Question number one What is the gospel? We hear that word gospel, and it has a nice sound to it, you know, gospel. Well that sounds something, something good. And it is. You're right. But what is it? What is the gospel? The word gospel simply means good news. Have you ever had good news? Maybe you got the job after all. Maybe you passed the exam. Maybe you got some inheritance. Uncle Zeke remembered you finally. You know, some good news. There's all kinds of good news in the Bible. Um, But the one that concerns us the most, the good news that concerns us the most, is that men and women can have their sins forgiven and they can go to heaven. That is the most exciting good news. It's more exciting than winning the lotto. You win the lotto, actually, that's bad news for you. Because now you are the target of every crook and... Relative you never thought you ever had. Everyone's going to come after you. And the more money you win in the lotto, the more your life is worthless because they'll kill you for it. I pity people who win these huge amounts. And in the United States, the Powerball has crossed the $1 billion mark. Please don't feel tempted. Please, please have nothing to do with the lotto business. God is not in it. There's been so many murders, deaths, split families, people who have gone into drugs and alcohol and prostitution wholesale, just big time because of lotto winnings. (coughs) Stay away from the lotto. It's not for us. The best news that we could ever have is our sins are forgiven and there's going to be a place for us in heaven because none of us have a guarantee on life. Any one of us could be dead tomorrow. You heard what happened in Seoul, Korea. These crowds of thousands went out partying for Halloween. Listen, some, someone is not going to like what I'm going to say. But if those people had not have gone partying for Halloween, they'd be alive today. 153 people died because of this horrible crush of the crowd at this Hollywood party, uh, Halloween party. I don't believe Halloween is is something that we ought to be involved with. Anyhow, it is what it is. But the best news of good news is our sins are forgiven and there's a home in heaven. Because one day we're all going to die. Would you agree? One day we're all going to leave this world. One way or another, we're getting out of this world. But then what? Huh? What happens to us then? Hmm. Well, the good news, the gospel, is we can have our sins forgiven. Now, how did this happen? It doesn't just automatically happen. How did it happen? This good news is based upon what Jesus did for you and for me when he died on the cross. That's what the good news is based on. What is this work that Jesus did for us? In 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. That's point one. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. Point two. That's the second point. He was buried. And that he rose again. That's point three. Rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This means that Jesus paid what we owe in hell. He paid what we owe in hell because of our sins. And this gospel of Jesus Christ is basically his death, burial, and his resurrection. This is what the good news is based on. Men and women can now have their sins forgiven them. They can now be assured of a place in heaven based upon what Jesus did for you and for me. All right, that's question number one. What is the gospel? This brings us to question number two. Now hold that thought. I've got to get a glass of water. This is special water. It's got lemon in it. Ah, oh, all right. We're ready for question number two. Okay. Question one. What is the gospel? Question two. Why do we need the gospel? Why is it we need this gospel of Jesus Christ? The short answer is because our sins are preventing us from going to heaven. God plainly tells us this in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's like God's glorious perfection. All have sinned. You see that word all, A-L-L? Who does it refer to? Does it refer to everyone here today? Yes or no? Yes. Does it refer to me? Yes. Does it refer to you? Yes. Does it refer to every human being in the world today? Yes. There's no exceptions. All have sinned. Every one of us, every single human being is born with a sin nature. And we start committing sin at a very early age. We start telling lies we start disobeying. We get involved with lust and greed and anger. And we start taking things that don't belong to us. We call that stealing. On, on and on the list goes. And of course, there's many other things on the shopping list as well. Sin messes up our lives here on earth. But worse than that, sin prevents us from ever getting to heaven. Why? Because no sin can ever get into God's heaven. That's God's heaven now we're talking about. Sin cannot get in there. God owns heaven. He decides who comes and who doesn't come. He makes that decision. In your home, you decide who comes in your front door or not. If there's someone you don't like, you simply don't let them in. It's your decision. If there's someone you like, you let them in. God lets people into heaven. But it's based upon what Jesus did. It all goes back to this wonderful glorious gospel, this good news that men and women can have their sins forgiven. Sin messes up our lives on earth. It messes us up in eternity. Referring to heaven, talking about heaven in Revelation 21, 27, it says, and there shall in no wise enter into it. Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Now pause right there. Have you ever told a lie? I have. Every one of us have. How many pins does it take to burst a balloon anyhow? Just one. The moment we committed our first sin, we were small, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, We were little, we started committing sin. Bang, there you go. Can't get to heaven because of our sin. That means that unless you and I are as perfect as God is perfect, we cannot get into God's heaven. And according to what God has written in the Bible, that leaves only one other place that sinful men and women can end up in. And that's a place called hell. You've heard of it. H-E-L-L. It's a real place. And did you know that hell was originally designed for Satan and his angels? Jesus told us that. That hell was originally designed for Satan. And so, if that's true, what are men and women doing in hell? How is it that men and women end up in a place called hell? Men and women end up in hell. Here's why. Don't miss it. Because they refuse God's one and only way to get to heaven. God doesn't have two ways to get to heaven. He doesn't have three ways. He doesn't have four ways. God has one way that he's provided. One way to get to heaven. How is it that men and women end up in hell? It's because they refuse God's one way. They'll take some other way. So, why is that? Why do people refuse God's one and only way? Why do they do it? Well, there's a lot of people in the world that simply hate God and they don't want to have anything to do with God. So, therefore, they don't care about God's one and only way. They're not interested because they hate God. Then there's another class of people who don't really believe that they've committed sin. They don't hate God, but they don't believe that they've committed sin. They don't believe they've broken God's commandments and God's laws. When God says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and they say, oh, it's just a matter of opinion. I mean, everyone does it. God would never put me in hell. I'm a nice person. God would never put someone like me, not me. I don't deserve to go to hell. I'm a nice person. I'm a good husband or good wife. I've been good to my parents. I've listened to them. I I hold down a respectable job. I pay my taxes. Hey, how many people keep the speed limit? I keep the speed limit. I see a lot of people that don't. God would never put a good person like me into hell. And there's a lot of people who think that way. They don't really believe that they're a sinner. They don't really believe That what God says is true. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They don't really believe it. They don't really believe when the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. They don't really believe it. And they think they stand as good a chance as the next person getting to heaven. Well, that's sad because the next person has no chance of getting to heaven because they're a sinner too. And so you have a great class of people who don't really believe that they're sinners. And then, of course, you have a class of people who are more interested in other religious ideas. Oh, sure, they believe in God. At Jesus, sure, he's just one more God amongst many. They they have more interest in other ways. I suppose also then there's a class of people who haven't yet realized what God is saying is true. That God really meant it when he said all have sinned. They haven't figured that out yet. They will one day, but the light bulb hasn't gone on yet. They haven't realized that when God is pointing down a finger saying, you have sinned, they don't realize that he's pointing right at them. Me? Are you pointing at me, Lord? And there are people like that. I was one of them. I didn't know. I grew up figuring, well, I've been taken to church I guess there's a heaven. I guess I'll be there. It wasn't until I started reading what God had to say about it in the Bible. Very important. Very important. You know, it's sad. But when Jesus himself came to earth, he came to the Jews. That's the nation that God started. And it says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. That means he came to the Jews, but the Jews received him not. But as many as received him, now these are mainly the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But as many as received Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So it's sad when Jesus came, they didn't even want him. The Jews, the nation God started, they didn't even want their Messiah. So, in answer to question number two, why, why do we take the gospel into the world? Why do we need it? The answer is very simple, isn't it? Men and women are naturally alienated from God because of their personal sin. Everyone. And they are in danger. They stand in danger today of dying and going to hell forever and ever. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, the gospel is called the gospel of your salvation. This gospel, this good news, is we can have our sins forgiven and God will and wants to welcome us into heaven. So that brings us to question number three. How? How do we share this gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole world? How do we do it? There's 8 billion people out there. And we said, previously, we said, this is an impossible job. This is a job that's too big for us. But I have news. It's not too big for God. Because nothing shall be impossible for God. God is able. And we're going to see that. That's why God has given us a secret power. We have a secret, folks, a secret power that we use. And many of us here know that power and are using that power. What is this power? Now, your Bible is open at Acts chapter 1. I want you to read verse 8 with me. The the first half. How about the first half of verse 8? Folks at home, you read it out loud with us, okay? Let's read together. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Stop there. Power and the Holy Ghost. These go together. Now the Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. You know them. God the Father. Say it with me. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit say, so why do we call him the Holy Spirit sometimes and call him the Holy Ghost other times? What's the difference? According to my studies, when he's called the Holy Spirit, it's more in reference to his person, who he is. When he's called the Holy Ghost, it's more in reference to what he does and to his power. And it's the very same with the human spirit. We are a body, soul, and what? Spirit, third part. That spirit is not the body. That spirit is not the soul. It's a spirit given to you by God. You are body, soul, and spirit. And when you die, there's an expression in the Bible they gave up the what? Ghost. You see that all the time in the Bible Old Testament, New Testament. He died, he gave up the ghost. Well, that's the spirit. That spirit has been empowering your physical body, giving you life. And when that spirit is gone, when it leaves the body, you've given up the ghost and that body is dead. You need that spirit. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out more about that wonderful gift to us, that spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit has all of the power. I guess I should say the Holy Ghost. He has all of the power necessary for you and for me to live a successful life for God. The Holy Ghost has all of the power necessary for us to be involved with worldwide missions. Missions, say missions, what is missions? What do we mean when we talk about missions? Missions is taking the gospel. The good news that people can have their sins forgiven and go to heaven. Taking that gospel throughout all the world. That is missions. Listen. There's a lot of work today. It's being called missions. But it is not missions. Feeding hungry people is good work. But that's not missions. Giving medicine to sick bodies is... Is good work, but it's not missions. Missions is what the Bible defines it as. And missions is taking the gospel to people who have never heard, people who need to know that their sins can be forgiven them. They need to know that there is one true God, not a multiplicity of gods. There is one God eternally existent in three persons, and we call it the Trinity. One God. That's missions. That's what missions is all about. And God is asking every Christian, man, woman, and young person to be involved with missions. It's the Great Commission it's called. How do we get involved? How do we do it? We do it by helping to send and support gospel preaching missionaries. Our church right now is helping to support 108 gospel-preaching missionaries. To the glory of God, we've been allowed to do that. And we've seen wonderful blessings, not just on our church, but on the families in our church that get involved with missions. I'm telling you this. If you've never been involved, you don't know what you're missing. Many of us here today, have been involved with missions for many years. And we can tell you firsthand, God opens his windows of heaven. God blesses. It doesn't mean a problem-free life. No, I wouldn't want a problem-free life because problems help me to grow, become more like Christ. God uses problems to bring about amazing things in my life. No, I want a life with the power of God in it. And when the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is upon me, I have the power. Acts 1.8 Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. This is the secret of the Christian life. This is the secret power that we use to be able to do the greatest work ever. God asks us to be involved with worldwide missions. How can we do that? How can we do that financially when when we're having trouble making ends meet ourselves? How can we do that when interest rates are going up and no one can afford a home? How can we do that when the price of gas keeps scaring us every week at the pumps? How can we do that when the price of food is going up, up, up in the grocery stores? How can we do that when our wages are not keeping pace with inflation. How can we possibly be involved? It's the secret power. And I'm going to show it to you now. Take your Bible, turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. I want you to go there right now. You have to see this for yourself. There are a lot of people who don't know that this is in the Bible. We're talking the secret power of God. Oh boy, that was a loud one, wasn't it? I'm sorry. I wasn't whispering that time. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You have it? Because I need you to help me to read verse 18. Verse number 18. Folks at home, read it along with us now. All together. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. You see those words, power to get wealth. Take your pen or pencil and underline those words. It is God who gives you power to get wealth. The Holy Ghost will give you this power. To get wealth. You say, how will he do it? That's up to him. Where will he do it? That's up to him. When will he do it? That's up to him. Your job is to have the Holy Ghost upon you. And he will give you this power so that you can get wealth. So that you can help support missions. I have seen this in my own life. I have seen this in countless other lives. This is how God does it. He's given us an impossible job and he's given us amazing power to do it. Get involved. This is the secret power that we use to support missions. God will give us the power to get wealth. You see, I still don't understand. How does it happen? Well, God can do it in a variety of ways. He could have you come into a small windfall of money somehow. He could give you a raise at work. Listen to this. He could make it so that normal expenses all of a sudden you don't have. Things that you were figuring you were going to have to pay, you don't have to pay anymore. God has various ways. Don't limit the power of Almighty God. God made us a promise. He will give us wealth. Not so that we can use it foolishly. If our goal is to use wealth foolishly, sinfully, lustfully, greedily, crazily, he's not going to do it. He won't do it. God is smarter and God is more loving than that. One of the problems we see with a lot of young sports heroes, they're 19 years of age, we give them a $10 million contract, you know, to skate around the ice and shoot the puck. We'll give them a $15 million contract to hit the ball out of the park. Now these 19, 20, 21-year-olds, they're multi-multi-millionaires. And we're seeing it more and more. The money ruins them. There's departments of Alcoholics Anonymous and Drug you know, uh, Anonymous that cater to sports figures. There's a lot of people in the entertainment world. All of a sudden, overnight, they're a big success. And now they've got major problems with drugs and alcohol and gambling. The money's thrown at them. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to use it. That's why you don't want to win the lotto. Let God be your secret source. He's not going to let you dry up and wither and die. You look to Him and He will give you the power to get wealth. When you promise Him you're going to use it Wisely. This is how she works, folks. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. God says, I want you involved with worldwide missions. I want you to help support missionaries. And you're looking in your pocketbook or your purse and you're saying, I don't know how I can do it. This is how you can do it the secret power. I can do all things through Christ. God has power. We need to look to Him. You see, that's why the Christian life is lived by faith. The just shall live by faith. If your life doesn't have much faith involved, I can tell you, you're not in the will of God. Because faith needs to be the platform. It needs to be your secret source, your power. And faith will tap into this. God will only give us the power to get wealth if we're going to use it properly. He's not going to give it to us if we're going to use it selfishly. Now, let's look at this again in the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 9. In this verse, God is basically telling us the same truth. Old Testament, New Testament, the truth is the same. God has the power to give us wealth. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Read it out loud now with me, please. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. This promise is in the context of finances. God knows our finances are not strong. He knows we're weak. He knows we have lots of bills and expenses. But God is promising us, if we'll do it His way, if we'll look to Him, if we'll enter into a Partnership with God, if you will. God will pour into us sufficient wealth, not just to meet all our needs, and he usually gives a few extra blessings there, but to use this wealth now to help get the gospel, his gospel, into all the world. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are missionaries that are waiting to get out on the field But they don't have enough support yet. So where are we going to get the money? Old Testament, New Testament. God is the same God. He has the power to give us the wealth. You see, that's the amazing, beautifully frustrating truth. Others will look at us and say, how can you possibly do that? Unsaved accountants of the world will look at our finances and say, you can't afford to do that. And yet we do it. And we finish off the year just fine. We got all our bills paid. We have blessings along the way. And we've been able to support gospel preaching missionaries. It's the secret power that Christians have depended upon for almost forever. And so, what is the gospel? It is the good news that men and women can have their sins forgiven and, and go to heaven. And why do we need the gospel? Because men and women are naturally alienated from God. Listen, here's a proof. Here's a proof. People who are alienated from God, when they pray, Oh dear God, I hope you can hear me. Are you out there? Can you see me? Do you even know what I'm going through? Oh God, help me. That's how alienated people pray. People who have not had their sins washed away. People who have never actually experienced the new birth. Jesus said it. You must be born again. Many of them are good, nice, religious people. But they're alienated. And this is why we need to take the gospel around the world. Well, how do we share the gospel? How do we do this? We do it with the secret power. We look to the Lord and say, if you've never experienced this before, you're going to have to experience it. That's Listen, try and tell someone what peanut butter tastes like. Someone who's never had peanut butter before. And you try and explain what peanut butter tastes like. Well, good luck with that. The best way to explain to someone what peanut butter tastes like is to put a spoon in a jar of peanut butter and ask them to open their mouth. Here, taste it for yourself. And when you experience the power of God in your life over the next 365 days of the year and how God will adjust things and bring wealth into your life so that you can support missionaries, then you'll know what peanut butter tastes like. You'll know what this secret power is all about. Do nothing in the strength of the flesh. Do it by faith. Now, all this leaves just one more question. How do we get the Holy Spirit upon us? The promise is when the Holy Ghost comes upon us, we'll have this power. How do we get the Holy Ghost upon us? Maybe you've read in the, New Test- the Old Testament about a man named Samson. You remember Samson? We've all heard the Bible stories of Samson. How the Spirit of God would come upon him. And he had all the power in the world to just do anything, right? Samson, when the Spirit of God came upon him. But when the Spirit of God left him, he was just a weak, ordinary man. And it's the same with us. If the Spirit of God is not controlling our lives, we're just weak. We're just very ordinary. And no, we can't do supernatural things. We can't, you know, make money appear out of nowhere. We can't support missions. But when the Holy Ghost is in charge and in our lives and controlling us, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Okay, how do we get the Holy Spirit upon us? Number one, number one. Number one, make sure you're saved. Make sure you're born again and make sure you're saved Take your Bible and turn back a few pages. If you're in 2 Corinthians, go back to Romans chapter number 10. This is so important. Maybe someone here today or maybe someone watching online and you're not born again. You've never experienced the new birth. You're not saved. Well, I want you to see it for yourself. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Read verse 9 out loud with me, please. Now, all together. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. See that word? Thou shalt be saved. What's the word? Tell me. Saved. What does it mean? It means saved from hell and saved for heaven. Saved from hell and saved for heaven. Read verse 10 out loud now. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And look at verse 13. Read that out loud. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to be male, female, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, popular, or else stinko. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your walk of life, your background, where you came from or where you're going to end up. You are a soul for which Christ died. Jesus died on the cross for you. He paid every last sin you ever will owe in hell. He paid for it. That payment is now waiting to be credited to your life, to your account. It's waiting for you to open your heart's door to the Savior. Salvation is a gift. It's nothing you can earn or deserve or work for. It's a gift. Like at Christmas or a birthday, someone gives you a gift. Hey, here's a gift for you. You never run and get your purse or your pocketbook and say, let me pay you for that gift. Because if you paid even one dollar, it's no longer a gift. And so you paid a dollar and they gave you the gift. You brought it home and they said, hey, where'd you get that? And you said, I bought it. I bought it off my friend for a dollar. It's no longer a gift. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be worked for or earned. It must be received or rejected. Have you ever offered a gift to someone? Have you ever offered them a gift only to have them reject it? Has that ever happened to you? It does happen. It's happened to me where I offered a gift to someone and they rejected it. They didn't want it. Did you know that God, the Father, offers the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? He put it in person, the person of Jesus. And now he offers Jesus. Will you take my son? Will you take Jesus? The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. That's eternal life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's all about whether you have Jesus or not. On April the 6th, 1975, as a young 18-year-old, soon to be 19, I received Jesus Christ into my heart. On that was a Sunday. I received him into my heart and life. And I became part of God's family. I was born again. I was saved. All all those years now, 47 years now, God has been wonderfully close. It's no more, are you out there? I can't see you. Can you even hear me, God? Now it's my Father, which art in heaven. Evidence of the new birth. And many of you here have experienced the same thing. Point one, make sure you're saved. We're talking about the secret power of God comes when we have the Holy Ghost on us. When you get saved, the Holy Ghost is given to you as a permanent resident. He will not come and go and come and go. He is in you. You have him. But the question is, does he have you? Have you surrendered your life to the control of? Of the Holy Spirit. Now you're in Romans chapter 10. Turn over a page. To Romans chapter 12. This is written. To men and women. Who are already saved. Romans chapter. Number 12. And verses 1 and 2. Read these verses out loud with me please. I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is written to men and women who have been born again. They've already received Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. There's a home waiting for them up in heaven. But between now and the time they get to heaven, who's controlling their life? These verses are encouraging us as Christians to give the control of our life to God. Let God be the boss. Let Him be in in control. Let Him call the shots. In doing so, the Holy Spirit now comes upon us. There we have it. Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're here. You're saved. Praise the Lord for that. But is the Holy Spirit in control? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We're saying let the Holy Spirit fill the office of boss in your life. Let the Holy Spirit, who knows the will of God, Let the Holy Spirit, who has all the power of God, let the Holy Spirit control your life. Then the windows of heaven really open. Oh, listen, there's no better way to live. Isaiah 40 verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know something? Listen to me. God is actually looking for Christian men and women with whom He can form a partnership. God wants the world reached with the gospel. And He's looking for people like us who will go into business partnership with God where God can supply the money and we can supply the channel. He's looking for trustworthy, Spirit-filled Christian men and women Into whose lives he can pour wealth and power so that we can responsibly use it for the honor and glory of God, not to try and use it selfishly. And God is looking for business partners. And I'm asking you would you become a business partner with God today? He knows your situation. And the harder off you are, the more he likes it. Because he gets more glory that way. And he will take you in your current situation and pour his resources and his riches and his power and his grace and his influence into your life so that you can direct it to every good work. And God is looking for men and women like that. Are you interested in that? Because God's invitation is open to all. God tells us in the Old Testament the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And God is looking today who He can use and who will partner with Him. That's why this is so exciting. Your life will take on a whole new meaning when you have God as your senior business partner. Trust me. There's no finer way to live. And by the way, God treats his business partners very well. He doesn't let us burn up and wither and die. He treats us really good. So will you today let the Holy Spirit control your heart and cause you to get the wealth you need so you can support missions. Two men, and then we're going to pray. Two men in recent history. Two men. One was named Laterno. The other was named Tam. T-A-M. Both of these men, I don't even think they knew each other. But both of them were Christians who got on their knees and said, God, I want you to use me. I want to be your channel. I want you to be my business partner. And God said, okay, let's do this. You can look them up. Luterno and Tam. These two Christian men. And God began to pour wealth into their lives. I don't mean nickels and dimes or 10,000 or 100,000. I'm talking tens of millions of dollars that these men were used of God to channel into missions. God looked after these men and their families. He looked after them just fine. But the big payoff was for God, for his glory. Because many, many, many churches got started around the world. Many people became Christian because of the influence of these two Christian businessmen who let God be their senior partner. You don't have to be in business to let God be your senior partner. I wanna invite you to come and pray at the front today and ask God to be your business partner. Would you stand to your feet, please? Time to pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.